Welcome to the 7 Daily Choices Podcast, a podcast designed to empower you to transform your relationships, optimize your leadership, and ignite your world. My name is Dow Tippett, and I want to help you create, build, and sustain a thriving life with others. This is episode one. So today we're going to begin going through the seven daily choices, and we're going to talk about how these choices work in your life. We're particularly going to lay out frameworks for how you can make these choices in your own life. And today we're going to talk about the two choices that help us to create or recreate thriving life with others. Um, The reason we talk about create or recreate is that oftentimes when you come to these choices for the first time, you've got some brokenness in your relationships. You've got some places you need to go back and you need to start over, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your workplace, maybe somewhere in your community. If you're involved in a church community, maybe there's someone there who you need to recreate relationship with. So we're going to walk through those. So there are two choices that we make, and the first choice that we need to make every day. Now, let me remind you, these are daily choices, and these are choices. You have the power to make them or not make them. You have the power to change your life and change your trajectory and change your leadership by making these choices. So the first choice is vulnerability. Now, right now, if you listen to leadership podcasts at all, or you listen to leadership teachers out there, vulnerability has almost become a buzzword that people are using and they're throwing around. Um, But in this particular moment in history, where many of us are staying in our homes and we are staying inside small groups and we're staying away from others physically, the reality is we need to get close socially and spiritually. We need to remain close in our relationship, and that requires us to be honest and open. In fact, right now, I would recommend during this time that you take time to talk about your feelings. Here's the other thing I know. For many of you, now you're living every day, every moment with people you love, people you adore, people you're great with, and you love having them around. You're just not used to having them all day, every day, and their little ticks and their little things that they're doing create problems for you because you're struggling together. And maybe you went into this with stress and tension already. And the reality is that stress and tension is only going to grow in these difficult times when we're under extra pressure because we're tired or we're sick or people around us are, are, everything's changing and everything's unstable. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to be vulnerable with each other and we need to choose vulnerability and we need to choose to treat each other well by setting ourselves aside. And part of what we want to do there is we want to share what's going on inside of us and we want to just just be more human. I heard Pat Lencioni say today, just be more human. Be kind, be gracious, be godly. Think about others before yourself. Take the time to allow your needs and your struggles to be second to the needs and the struggles of others. 
When we're creating relationships, we have to be vulnerable. In fact, here's what we like to show you. In every relationship, here's the framework for vulnerability. First, we're going to risk, then we're going to reach, then we're going to reveal. Now, just close your eyes for a minute because this is a podcast. If you're driving down the road, don't close your eyes. Just think about this. Every person you've you've met in your life, you have met, and typically here in America, this is how this goes. I get introduced to somebody or I decide to meet somebody or um, somebody takes me to meet somebody else. Listen, anytime that happens, there is risk because every person we meet offers new risk, especially somebody we don't know. Every time we're with somebody we don't know, every time we meet someone new that we don't already know, there's risk in that. But typically, if the circumstances are such that we trust what's going on and we trust the person that's introducing us or we trust the space we're in, we will introduce ourselves by reaching out our hand and we'll shake their hand. And then we reveal something about ourselves. In that moment, it's usually our name. Now, while we're revealing our name and it seems like, oh, you're just revealing your name, that's not very deep. The truth is, at the beginning of a relationship, this is a a sign that we actually care about the other person, especially if we take a moment to make sure we remember their name. You want to remember their name. It's been said that the most beautiful sound of the human ear is your own name. It's funny, I just got done watching because we're closed in this old movie that I'd never watched before that I'd always wanted to, Avatar. And the greeting they use among the, the Navi people is, I see you. And when you use somebody's name, you're saying to them, I see you. I know who you are and it matters. You matter. And so in that moment, we want to reveal not only our own name and so that we can be seen, but we want to make sure that we let other people know that we see them. We're going to choose to make sure knowing somebody else's name is top of our list. We're going to make ourselves second and other people first. I remember hearing the story about an author who was interviewing two different candidates for president in, I believe, Israel at the time. And after she'd interviewed the first candidate, she called home to her husband and he said, how did it go? And she said, he's the most interesting man I've ever met. And they had a conversation about it. It was good. The next day she interviewed the other candidate and she came back and her husband said, how did it go? And she said, he made me feel like I was the most interesting person he'd ever met. Well, the second guy won the election. If we are going to lead well, and if we're going to create relationships that are thriving, and we're going to take the relationships we have to new levels, we're going to have to take some risks. We're going to have to reach out, and we're going to have to reveal something about ourselves. Now, maybe you're in a situation where you have to recreate a relationship. To do this, we suggest you use the six-step apology. 
Uh, I got this from Ford Taylor. He's written a book called Relational Leadership, and I highly recommend it. He also has some training online that, again, I highly recommend. Last time I looked, it was about $300. I haven't looked in a while, but it is worth your time as a leader to go and see what Ford is doing. But when we were developing our stuff, I asked him if I could use this model, and he said, absolutely. Uh, Gave me some instruction to make sure I use it right, so I hopefully will honor him in the way we use this and continue to do so. But here's the framework for recreating relationship. First of all, we're going to figure out where in the brokenness of the relationship we are responsible. Now, oftentimes when relationships break, it is two people and they both have done things wrong. But what we're going to do as leaders is we're going to take responsibility for our part. That's what leaders do. Leaders take responsibility for themselves. They don't slough off responsibilities on others. So instead of looking at others, look at yourself and ask yourself, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And if you can't see it, talk to a friend who's close to you, who you can trust to be honest with you and see if they can help you to see what you might have done differently to keep that relationship in place. Now, sometimes you do everything you can and people still choose to walk away and there's nothing you can do about that. But when we're trying to recreate a relationship, we're going to start by figuring out what our part is in the brokenness that has happened. And unless you're talking about your relationship with God, and we will probably do that, you have had you there are two people and they have both had a part, but you need to worry about your part. Now, in your relationship with God, he's not messed up. Only you have. So again, look at what you could have done differently. What is it in you that needs to change? So once we do that, we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to look inside. Then once we've done that, we're going to go to them and we're going to say, I'm sorry for whatever it is that we did wrong. And you need to be specific what you did that you should not have done. Okay. You need to be specific. I had to do this publicly once. Whenever I preach, I do so barefoot. And uh, even when I speak, I typically am barefoot unless I'm asked not to be. It's part of what I do. Um, There's reasons behind that we may go into at some point. But I went to speak in front of a church and found out after I'd spoken that there were some people who were really bothered by my bare feet. And I was coming back to speak at that church again. And when I came back, I apologized. Initially, I was frustrated because I felt like, ah, come on, people, you should just get, this is no big deal. Why do you make such a big deal out of little things? Because Christians tend to do that. But I had to ask myself, what did I do wrong? And here's what I did wrong. I didn't tell them why my feet were bare. I didn't explain the circumstances. I didn't explain my choice to do something they'd never seen or they weren't used to that threw them off. And it kept them from hearing the message I had that day because they were more worried about my bare feet. Now I can blame them for that or I can take responsibility that I did not take the time to move away from that. And so I went to them and I said, I should not have come before you with bare feet and not told you why my feet are bare. And then I said, I'm sorry. Those two words, no other words. The only other words you can possibly use is I apologize. But honestly, I'm sorry carries more weight. And then this second set of words is I was wrong. 
So step one, you need to check, figure out what is I did wrong, and then you need to share that specifically. And then step two, I'm sorry. Don't use other words. Step three, I was wrong. No other words. That's it. Stop there. Don't add but. Don't add because. Don't add no explanation. Just I was wrong. And then once you've said I was wrong, you need to say, can you forgive me? Can you forgive me? And here's why. Sometimes they can't and they're not ready. And you are not allowed to make them responsible for your failure. And anytime we make other people have to forgive us or willing to forgive us, we put responsibility on them and we need to ask, can you forgive me? Or if you can't, when you can, will you forgive me? Then, assuming that all goes well, the next thing we say is, um, I want to give you permission to hold me accountable on this issue. I want to give you permission to hold me accountable. Now, I'm not asking you to. I'm not making you responsible for it. Again, you are not responsible for my choices and my decisions and my failures. But I'm giving you permission to hold me accountable. And if you see me do this for you or for anybody else, you are allowed to call me on it. You have permission, but you are not required to. It is my responsibility to get my own self under control. But I give you permission to hold me accountable. Then number six, and you want to save this for time. This might be a good time to go through this with your wife or your family because you're stuck together. Um, but here's number six. Number six is this. Is there anything else? So often when we have conflict with people, we've created a problem we haven't, they haven't even told us about. We, we've hurt them in ways that they've never discussed so that when we discuss the thing that's bothering us, it's not what's really bothering them. And so we need to understand what it is they're struggling with. And we need to make that adjustment so that they understand what we're uh, that we're willing to do whatever it takes to heal this relationship. So there you go. Two frameworks, one for creating and one for recreating a relationship. And both of them require us to be vulnerable, us to be the ones who take the hits so that the relationship can heal. Now, the second choice in creating awareness or in creating great relationships is awareness. The second choice is awareness. We need to be aware of other people and circumstances and what's going on as well as aware of ourselves. We need to make sure that we've got an awareness of the circumstances we're in. Right now, one of the greatest things leaders can do in the midst of this corona crisis is to be aware of their people and what's going on beyond their work in their lives. What are they dealing with? Do they have a, a grandparent or a parent who they're worried about getting sick? Do they have kids at home who they're trying to figure out how to take care of and get through school because they're not able to go to school? Do they have money issues that they're concerned about? What are their fears? What are their concerns? How can you care for other people by being aware of what's going on with them and in them and around them? And we need to be aware of other people. Now, we talk about four P's. You're going to mind your P's and Q's, okay? To be aware, we're going to mind our P's and Q's. And there are four P's of what we need to be aware of 
every day when we interact with somebody else, every time we interact with them, we need to be aware of these things because they are the places where conflict can come up that we don't even know from issues that we don't even know about. So first, we need to be aware of past hurts. Now, in the workplace, oftentimes knowing everybody's past hurts is not possible. We're not going to know everything. But as we get closer and closer to people, we need to be aware of things that have hurt them in the past. And in the workplace, we need to be aware of hurts in the workplace they faced in the past. Because often people will respond to us as a leader the way they would respond to somebody else who we are looking like, right? We, we're we doing an activity that looks like somebody else. And so they are responding to us like that person instead of just like ourselves. So we want to be aware okay, of their past hurts. When we understand some of that, when we understand their past hurts, it allows us to be sensitive to where they're at. It allows us to be careful um, and considerate of those things when we address them. Now, sometimes people's past hurts cause them to do things that are crazy, and I know that, and we need to be okay with calling that out in people as leaders. But typically, people are bringing past hurts to the table, and we just don't even know about it. Um, This happens oftentimes when two people talk of different races. They have different past hurts around racism that still exists, unfortunately, in our country. This is one of the stupidest isms I know of. Okay, I'm not going to go off on a tangent about racism um, because character is what matters. Anyway, that's the end of that. Awareness is something that's necessary. How have those you're talking to, those you're addressing, been hurt in the past? And because we're not aware of each other's hurts and struggles, oftentimes we miss opportunities to be kind to people where we haven't been in the past. So we want to be aware of their past hurts. Second thing, we want to be aware of present struggles. Now, not only their present struggles, but our own present struggles. Um, Just heard Dr. Acton here in Ohio just say that, uh, or maybe it wasn't her, maybe it was uh, the, other, the other doctor talking about behavioral issues who said before she addresses her family, she tries to remember to halt, okay? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And we're going to talk about what it is that causes us to treat other people poorly uh, in episode five. We're going to talk about the traps we get caught in. But these are some of the quick ones you can kind of look at. How often have you responded to someone poorly because you were hungry and tired? And you acted like a two-year-old, not because what they were doing was wrong, but because you weren't in a good place. So hungry and tired, bad time to respond, right? And yet so often stuff's going on inside of us and we don't think about it. And because we're not being conscious of ourselves, we respond to other people poorly. But we also need to understand that oftentimes good people, loving people, even godly people will respond to us poorly because they're hungry or angry or lonely or tired or hurting from something else. And we don't know their hurt. If we don't know their present struggle, we don't know what they're going through. We make a lot of assumptions about why people do what they do. In the workplace, this shows up when two people from two different areas of the of the business are are attacking each other and frustrated with each other because they don't see eye to eye. In my book, Seven Daily Choices, there's a a marketing director and an accounting director, and the two are bashing heads because the marketing director is trying to figure out how to spend money, and the accounting director is 
seeing that the company is losing money in ways they haven't even figured out yet. And he can't figure out why they're losing so much money and the marketing directors wanting to spend more. And they're clashing, not because they're either one of them bad people or wanting what's best for the company. They both want what's best for the company, but they're coming at the picture from two different angles. This isn't bad people. We just need to be aware of people's present struggles. What is it they're dealing with that's causing them to respond the way they are? We need to be aware of those things. Now, not everybody's response is okay because of their struggles, but at least awareness allows us to have some sensitivity in how we address people's responses. Okay, so let's make sure that we're aware of past hurts, present struggles. We need to be aware of personalities. Okay, everybody responds to struggle and conflict differently. We all have different ways of seeing the world. We've been made differently and praise God for it. You can know this by looking at different things like DISC or Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or even uh, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies when it comes to habits and responses to to motivations um, that she has. All kinds of different tests are out there for this. But we need to understand the person we're talking to. Whenever we're dealing with somebody in our life, we need to remember their personality as we address them and deal with it. Because their personality is always there and it's always going to come to life. And we need to be ready to respond to them and their personality in the right way. And we need to understand how our personalities work together and how they can work against each other if we're not careful. Okay, then number four, we want to be aware of their private love language. Gary Chapman did a great book called The Five Love Languages, where he talks about how each of us have a different love language. And on top of that, what I've learned in teaching marriage and teaching training that I've done for a whole lot of people over the years is not only do people have different love languages, they have different dialects within the language. My wife and I are both People who uh, feel love and give love through physical touch and quality time. Physical touch and quality time. And at different times, we need quality time more than we need physical touch. And at other times, we need physical touch more than quality time. But those are the two ways we give and express love. And we both do that. Both of us take time to do that. But what my wife considers physical touch that adds to her life and helps her feel better, and what I feel love from in physical touch are very different things. Her needs for physical touch and mine are different. And what we consider quality time is different. If I am touching my wife with my foot while we sit on the couch and watch TV, quality time. If we do too much of that without a real conversation, not quality time for my wife. Okay, so I've got to understand her private love language, not only that it's physical touch and quality time, but what dialect do I need to be speaking in so that when I want to express love to her or when I choose to express love to her, I do it in a way that she hears it and understands what I'm trying to say, which is I care for you. I love you. I want the best for you. So we need to be aware of these four P's. Let me run through them one more time and we'll put these in the show notes so that you have them. You want to be aware of past hurts, of present struggles, of personality, and of private love language. Then how do we get there? How do we get to this place of awareness in a moment's time when suddenly we find ourselves in conversation or interaction with somebody, we're going to mind our cues. So we talk about minding our P's 
and our cues. And here are the three ways we gain awareness. First, the first thing you got to do is be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Okay. Don't talk first. Don't talk most. Be quick to listen. Listen to what other people are saying. Listen to their hearts. Listen to their actions. Listen to their tone of voice. Listen to where they're coming from. Listen to them. Listen to their circumstances. Listen to their phraseology. Listen. First thing we want to do if we're going to have awareness is we need to be quick to listen. And then number two, we need to quiet our answers. In other words, if we're going to give a response, it needs to be later. We need to hold down our desire to come up with responses. We need to quiet our answers. We need to bring that down so that what we do is we actually offer that help in a time and timely manner in a way that actually helps and not hurts because we create more problems. So quiet your answers. Okay, so we want to be quick to listen. We want to quiet our answers. Okay, so we want to mind our P's and our Q's. We want to be quick to listen. We want to quiet our answers. Okay, so you want to take time. You want to do that. You want to do both, all of these things. So mind your P's and mind your Q's. And finally, uh, we're going to be quick to listen. going to grab my frameworks real quick. We're going to we're going to quiet our answers and we're going to question first. In other words, before you even give answers, ask questions. Ask lots of questions to help you understand. Make sure that you're asking enough questions of other people so that you understand where they're coming from first. Uh, Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. So question first, lots of questions, question, 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 question. Usually it takes seven to get to the heart of a matter, seven questions to get to the heart of a matter. When you take time to question people, you listen and you learn from them. What you do is you grow your credibility. You grow your awareness of who they are. You grow your ability to care for them and love them and lead them in a way that is going to allow them to follow and allow them to follow with peace and with strength because you have been quick to listen. Okay. So you want to, you want to, you want to quiet your, or you want to be quick to listen. You want to question first and you want to quiet your answer. So those are your three cues. Mind your P's and your Q's. That's what we want to do together. All right. That's how we create thriving life is those two choices. And if you listen to other leadership podcasts, again, you're going to hear these things out there. If you'll listen for them, you'll hear other people talking about this in relationship podcasts, in leadership podcasts. And I know because I hear it all the time. And it's because these choices are everywhere. These, these aren't my choices. These are the seven choices that work for everyone. And these are things you can choose to do, but they're going to take practice. They're going to take time. So we want to let you know that there is an opportunity coming up um, where you can get involved in a smaller 
coaching group to help you work through these processes. Uh, that opportunity is going to be coming up by the end of April. We're going to have that fully ready to go where you can be in a, we're going to create a an online group where you can gather in and you can be a part of discussions and helping each other. And we'll not only put you in the large group where we offer more material and more things you can be a part of, but we're going to also break you off into what we call cohorts. And those cohorts will be eight to 10 people who are working together to grow these in yourselves, grow these in your life. Because what we want you to be, we want you to be so great at these skills that people look at you and they just see you as a master. They see you as a relationship master. We call it a relationship samurai. We want you to be great at all seven skills. If you stick around, if you come back tomorrow, we're going to launch into the choices that build relationship. There are two of those as well. Um, On Friday, we've got the choices that sustain thriving life with others. And then finally on Saturday, we're going to release the uh, choice that is the bedrock choice for all of these. That's what's coming up in the next few uh, episodes. And if you liked what you heard today, we want to encourage you. Will you share this with somebody? Will you uh, will you subscribe to it there in whatever podcasting app you're listening to? And then finally, will you rate and review us? That really helps us and it helps get the word out to more people so that more people can hear what we're doing as we try to build a thriving life together. And remember this. Life is a gift. Living is a choice. And living is measured in relationships. So choose relationship today.